You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. But if today is your first time with us or first time in a while, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Acts. We're getting close to the end. We're going to break in a couple of weeks uh, for a Easter series entitled I Am, and we're going to be looking at some of Jesus's I Am statements leading up to Easter Sunday. And then following that, we'll finish the book of Acts before we jump into our summer series. But as we've been going through this, we're going to actually pick up today right on the tail end and continue the account of what we looked at last week with Paul before the people. Uh, He's about to give his defense uh, for the the things that he's being charged against. The people are saying these things that he's doing that he's actually not, and he's about to stand before the people and give his defense. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever in your life had a time where somebody falsely accused you of something? We all probably have been there at some point or another. Uh, You might think this is a silly example, but I remember as kids, and my parents are here, they can attest to this. Uh, I've got two younger brothers, and of course, you guys know Kimberly, uh, which by the way, praise the Lord, we found out yesterday, Kimberly and Jared are having a baby boy. Uh, So we are excited for them, yes. Um, uh, Gatlin Cade Rushton, got it, okay. So uh, we're excited for them with that. Uh, But my sister Kimberly, she's the youngest, didn't really have this interaction with her too much because she was the baby of the family, but especially my brother Chris. We're only, you know, 22 months apart, and, you know, we were were just so close growing up, and we would wrestle, and we'd play, and we'd fight, and with doing that, there were so many times that mom's stuff got broke in the house. Right, Mom? (laughs) She can attest to it. There were several times where Chris and I would be wrestling or doing something, and I just think I remember one time I threw a stingray's hockey uh, stick. Now, it was only about this long that you got from the game. I threw it across the living room, and when I did, it just perfectly went right through the sheetrock in the living room. I didn't do that right. No. That's what I told mom and dad. Hey, Chris did that. It was me that did it. But I falsely accused Chris, and Chris very quickly gave his defense. And of course, there were examples of times where he did something, and he wanted to falsely accuse me, and I wanted to give my defense. I know those are silly examples, but we can all probably in our lives think of times, whether they're silly or even serious, where people have accused you of something, and it's completely false. And they could be accusing you because they want to get out of it. They don't want to get caught in their sin or the problem of which they caused it. Or they don't understand fully the ramifications and everything, the context of what was happening and why that decision was made. And they just want to say, well, I assume it's this person. And those times when those things happened, you had to give a defense. Well, this is a very serious matter that we're seeing with Paul because We already established at the end of the message last week that these people are frustrated because they think that he's going against the law, that he's teaching things outside of the law, and they want to eradicate the problem. They want to get rid of it. They want to go to him, and they start to beat him. And we all know that very quickly that's going to turn into much of like happened to Stephen when he was stoned in Acts 7. And thank God the Lord intervenes, and Paul's able to give a defense of what's going to happen here for us today. Before we begin, I want to begin with prayer, and then we will jump right into our passages this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you, and so grateful, God, for the time that we've had to worship you in song this morning. 
God, you are so good, and Lord, you are so worthy of our praise and our adoration. God, we are sinful people, Lord, that have been redeemed by your grace. Lord, we were your enemies because of our sin, and yet you lovingly send Jesus after living a perfect, sinless life to die in our place and to take your wrath. Lord, you are so kind and gracious. Lord, we pray over these next few moments, Lord, that you would speak boldly through me, Lord, that I would get out of the way and it would be you, Lord, that speaks. Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts where we need conviction, Lord, that you would urge us to step forward in obedience to you following a calling or whatever it may be, God, that you have for us. Lord, I pray for Matt as he's about to get into the pulpit in just a little bit. Being in Colorado, they are several hours behind us, Lord, but this morning as he is going to preach your word, I pray, God, that you'd use him powerfully this morning as well. We pray that you have your way. We ask this in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Amen. All right, so for our passage today, and we're we're looking at this idea of this defense, and when when we're talking, you you see there that the the title of the message is, Are You Willing? Are You Willing? I'm going to get to the, the overall gist of that here in a few minutes as we tie things up this morning. But for our passage, we see that Paul's defense of the gospel is an example to believers of how to understand where people are to boldly proclaim Jesus and to do so until the Lord directs otherwise. Now, before we jump into the first verse, I want to just read a couple of verses to you that were the tail end part of last week that we we stopped at before I started to read them to give you an idea of what's about to happen. So I'm going to start in chapter 21, verses 37 through chapter 22, verse 2. They'll be on the screen for you, or there's Bibles there in front of you if you need it. The word of the Lord says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian? Then who recently stirred up the revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into, (coughs) excuse me, the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, let's stop there for a moment. We read this and we, we see these verses. Paul mentions to the tribune, he's talking directly to him, and he, he wants to have a moment to talk and converse with him. And the tribune responds by asking Paul if, if he, in fact, is Greek, if he, is, if he was not this person that they're saying he is to be. He wants Paul to explain, like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And when Paul indicates that he's actually a Jew, things begin to change for him. Paul begs him to be allowed to speak before the tribune to the people, and the tribune gives him the okay. And then Paul lifts his hand. You can almost see it in your mind. Paul lifts his hand out. Remember, these people are shouting these charges against him. It's very similar if you remember before Jesus is crucified, right? Jesus is standing and all the people are yelling, crucify him. All these people are there, and a great hush comes over the crowd, it says. When Paul raises his hand, the people are angry, they're frustrated, and then this great hush comes, and he begins to address him. It gets a little bit more intense whenever Paul begins to speak to them in Hebrew. 
It's this moment where it's like, whoa, 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 that's not supposed to happen. What's going on here? And this great hush comes over the people. I want to go ahead and indicate to you our first point for today. Number one is meet people where they are. Meet people where they are. Verse three reads to us, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. See, Paul makes this immediate connection with the people. He wants them to know that he is a Jew. Yes, he was born in Tarsus, but he was raised right there in Jerusalem. He tells them that he's a student, a Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of their fathers. What is it that he's referring to? Well, you may remember, you've heard us talk about this time and time again as we've preached through gospel text and whatnot. But we see in the educational system for them growing up that they had to learn and, and be well established in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And if you didn't cut it, if you didn't make it, and you didn't learn it and know it, you were done. You would go and you would do your father's trade for the rest of your life. That was it for you. Those that could get that right, they would continue to move up in the educational system. We know from the Gospels that the disciples are there, they're casting their nets, they're fishermen, they're out doing their dad's trade. They didn't cut it, they didn't make it by societal standards in the educational system. However, Paul flourished in that. Paul flourished in it. He continued to go through the process. Paul connects again by indicating that he is zealous for the law and zealous for God, just like they were. He's making a connection to say, listen, guys, I'm just like you in the sense that I love God. I'm zealous for him. Verse 4 reads to us, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Paul admits that he was a persecutor of the way. You notice that way in our English translations, it's capitalized. It is referring, it was a term used for believers. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul admits that his persecution was to the point of killing, as well as binding and imprisoning both men and women who followed this way. He's trying to tell them, like, guys, I was very much against this stuff. He was after those who followed the way. See, I just want to interject something here. I think it is so incredibly powerful that our Father God redeems, that He redeems us. See, for Paul, this is a man that was a killer of Christians. He persecuted the church. He bound them. He imprisoned them. He beat them. 
He killed them. He stood by and watched as Stephen was stoned. And the scriptures say he approved of it. Yet God, in his grace and his mercy, redeems Paul. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And uses Paul to take the message to the Gentiles. To write the majority of the New Testament. We can give countless examples from the scriptures, other than Paul, of people who were not on the right track, that were sinful, that by God's standard did not meet up to the way things were supposed to be. Yet God intervened, God redeemed, and God used them powerfully. Why do I point that out? I point that out because I don't want anyone in the sound of my voice, here or online, to think that God is done with you. To think that God is done with you or that God cannot use you. Because whether you are in this room and you are 14, 15, 16, 17, or you are up in your late 80s, you can be used by God. No matter, you'd say, well, pastor, I come here and I put on a smiling face, but you don't know what I've done. You're right. I may not know what you've done, but God does. God knows all. And yet God is still willing to show you grace and mercy and use you for the glory of his name. Don't ever think that you can't be used by the Lord. See, Paul wanted these Christians dead. Verse 5, continuing from 4, says, As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I receive letters to the brothers, and I journey towards Damascus to take those also who were there to bring them, both, bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul wanted them dead. He wanted to do anything he could to do harm to the people. He even says that the high priests and the councils of elders there could attest to the fact. They could confirm that story. They could confirm that Paul was like that. He was willing to go all all the way to Damascus to persecute believers. And yet when he's on the way to Damascus, God intervenes and God meets Paul where he is. You see, as we are going about in this life and we are proclaiming and we're demonstrating the gospel to people in our circle of accountability, people that we know are lost, people that are around us where we live, work, and play on our streets, in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever they are, as we are going in this life and we are encountering these people, we have got to understand that they are in a different place than we are on this journey of life. If they don't know Christ, they are lost. They don't know the way. So we have to meet them where they are. These people are accusing Paul and ready to have him killed, yet Paul meets them where he is. Yes, he is giving a defense before them to say, whoa, 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 hear me out. But in giving his defense, Paul is meeting them where they are. He knows, wait a minute, these people are zealous for the law. These people love the law. These people love God. So I'm going to meet them where they are to say, whoa, 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 I am just like you. So we give our defense in this life of the gospel. Too many times we encounter people that 
yes, they're hostile to the faith. Yes, they've had those times of, in, the, in the history of their life where they have not had a good experience with the church. That's understandable. The church is made up of a bunch of sinful people, is it not? Sinful people redeemed by God's grace, but we're still sinners. People may have that bad history, that bad taste in their mouth with the church. People may have some horrible thing that has happened in their life, and they've built up this wall against the idea of God or anything else. We may encounter people that say, man, I hate God. God took my mother away. God took my father away. People are going to give us some kind of a response. We have got to meet them where we are and give a defense of the gospel that has radically changed us with the hope and prayer that it will radically change them. We have to meet people where they are. And when we meet people where they are, we have to boldly proclaim Jesus. That's point number two, boldly proclaim Jesus. We see Paul begin to do this. Verse 6 through 11, I'm going to read them all together and then I'll comment on them at the end. Verses 6 through 7 of chapter 22 read, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told what is appointed for you. All that is appointed to you, excuse me. And since I could not see because of the blindness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came to Damascus. See, Paul goes into the detail of his conversion. Now, this is something that we covered back in Acts chapter 9, so I'm not going to dissect all of that. Pastor Walter preached on that back when we were in Acts 9. I want to encourage you, go on the website, listen to it, to understand fully in depth the conversion of Paul. But I am going to talk about it for a moment. See, we need to notice here that specifically what Paul is doing. Paul is giving a testimony of Jesus to the people. He's boldly proclaiming Jesus before the very people that want him dead. He's giving an account, a defense of the gospel and how it has changed him. He's describing how Jesus radically transformed his life. We have to remember from last week, Paul was accused of teaching contrary to the law. That's a serious allegation and one that would lead to death. Paul's pointing to his conversion and interaction with Jesus. And he goes, he, he's going blatantly against the people's accusations. You may say, well, well, Brian, how is that? How is he blatantly going against it? He's talking about Jesus. They don't have no understanding of Jesus. Well, you have to remember something. Jesus himself, in his very own words, in Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to, uh, uh, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. By proclaiming Jesus to the people, Paul is standing before them and he's proclaiming the very fulfillment of the law that they were zealous for. 
Paul's standing before them like, you guys are so zealous for this law. You love the Lord. You love the law. Guys, what I'm proclaiming is the very one who fulfilled said law. He's the one that came and died for the redemption of souls, of all who would repent and believe. It is because of what he has done that we see the fulfillment of all the prophecies of old pointing to the Messiah. He is that Messiah. He is that Savior. Notice, too, that Paul quotes the words in verse 7, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As a quick reminder, Saul and Paul, same guy. Paul's name changed after he was redeemed. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You might say, well, why is that important to point out? Well, we have to remember, Jesus states to Paul, why are you persecuting me? At that time, what was Saul doing? He was going and he was persecuting Christians. He was going after Christians to imprison them, to kill them. In doing that, he is persecuting Jesus. Because remember, who is the bride of Jesus? It's the church. It's believers. So by persecuting the church, he's persecuting Christ. That's why Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? When one persecutes the church, as Paul did pre-conversion, they are persecuting against the Lord Jesus. The church is his bride. Paul continues to describe his commissioning by God delivered to him through Ananias. Look at verses 12 through 13. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. Notice here, Paul does something very intentional. He is sure to highlight the very one who was there that led him to saving faith in Jesus. It is done by Ananias. We remember that from Acts 9 where Jesus says to Ananias, he appears to him, he says, go to Damascus. You're going to find Saul. You need to be with him. You need to lead him to me. And Ananias puts up this front like, whoa, 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 Lord. I'll do what you say, but this is the guy that's going around. He's killing Christians. And the Lord knows that. He tells him to go anyway. Why is it so important for Paul to announce this about Ananias, to describe this account of Ananias being there? Well, he says that Ananias, remember, this is still all while giving his defense. Ananias was a devout man according to the law. He was one who did his best to follow the law. Paul also says that he was well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. So he's making this connection for them. Guys, the very one who came and met me where I was after my encounter with the Lord, he's a devout man who follows the law that you love. He is well thought of by people just like you. And yet he's the one that led me to Jesus. Just like he pointed to Jesus being the fulfillment of the law that the Jews were devoted to, he highlights that Ananias is a devout man according to the law, well thought of by Jews. He's doing this all to 
defend himself, but also to proclaim Christ. In Ananias, as we read there, he's the one that is there to help lead in Paul's healing of his blinded sight. I want to highlight some important things that we see from verses 14 and 15 as we move forward. And in doing so, I'm going to highlight some things that Tony Morita, a, a, a former professor of mine at Southeastern, he's a well-thought-of scholar that he highlights in one of his commentaries. But first, let's look at verse 14. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. See, first, Paul says, the God of our fathers appointed him. This wording is the same that is used when God calls Moses in Exodus chapter 3. By making this connection, he shows that the same God who called Moses is the same God that called me. We see also that God appointed Paul to see, as it says there, the righteous one. The righteous one. This too points to the Old Testament and the righteous one who is Jesus will be the obedient servant who is wounded for the transgressions of all mankind. This is known as the suffering servant in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 53 I love Tony Marita's words here, and they're going to be on the screen for us to see. So then Paul is pointing out that Judaism, rightly understood, should culminate in faith in this Jesus, the righteous one of whom Isaiah spoke. The very people that are sitting there and they're listening to these words of Paul and Paul describing the very one who redeemed him is the fulfillment of the law. It should lead people that are sitting there and hearing these words. It should lead them to rightly understand who Jesus is and want to repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord. Verse 15 says to us, for you will be a witness for him to everyone that you have seen and heard. Ananias' words to Paul show the plan of God. Jesus speaks to Paul and saves him for a greater purpose to, as it says in the scriptures, to witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. See, Paul's explaining that God's plan for Paul to do exactly what he's doing. God's plan wasn't for Paul to break the law or be sinful against God. God's plan was for Paul to preach the fulfillment of the law and to make the world know that Jesus' finished work on the cross was for the sins of the entire world. Verse 16 tells us, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Ananias here, Paul is quoting Ananias still by what is said there that we remember from Acts 9. He points to the necessity of not waiting. There's no need to wait or hold back when God has redeemed, when God has called. Paul was to rise, be baptized for the washing away of your sins. Now, let's be sure here to highlight and make sure that everybody understands Paul's quoting of Ananias is not saying that baptism is a requirement to be saved. 
Faith and trust in Jesus is it. The baptism is that next step, that outward sign of what has happened inwardly to show before the people of the body of Christ to say, church family, I identify as a follower of Jesus. God has redeemed me. Much like Jesus goes into the grave and comes out. I too have been buried with Christ and raised to this new life. I want to covenant together with you, church family, and be a member of this body. What he's saying there with the washing away of sins is to point to the fact of being cleansed. Jesus has cleansed us from his shed blood on the cross. When we have repented of our sins and confessed Jesus, we are his. And then we tell the world what he's done for us. Paul highlights something very similar to this when he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, the second half. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When we are redeemed, church, we are washed We are sanctified. We are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So much like Paul, Paul's meeting people where they are. Paul is boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. And as the Scriptures make it very clear to us, we are to do that until number three, The Spirit tells us differently. Walk in obedience with the Spirit. Walk in obedience with the Spirit. Verse 17 tells us, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Now Paul transitions this scene here in his defense before the people to tell of a vision that happens in the temple when he went to Jerusalem previously. Most scholars point to the fact that he is referring to after the Acts 9 conversion, this is what happens to him. Okay? Verse 18 reads, And saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Paul tells the people Jesus' words to him to quickly, with haste, quickly get out of Jerusalem, because the people aren't going to accept the testimony about Jesus. They're not going to want to hear it. Paul's now understanding what Jesus was talking about, right? We do see similarities of this account of Paul that he's referring to, to one of who I've already referenced earlier, Isaiah. Isaiah 2, not, not chapter 2, Isaiah also was seeing God in a vision, and God directed him of something to do, except for the case is a little bit different in the fact that Isaiah was told to stay. Paul was told by God to go, to make haste and go quickly. God's telling Paul, listen, I'm calling you right now to go. Let's read 19 through 20 together. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He's telling the Lord, like, hey, listen, I I want you to know, like, here's a little bit of a protest. Wait a second. You want me to go now? These people know this about me. They know who I am. But I've been changed by you. 
I've been changed. I've been transformed. Let me stay here and do the work. But verse 21 tells us, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Lord doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, ah, you know what? You're right. Go ahead and go. Stay here. No, he says, go. Go. I'm going to use you greatly to reach the Gentiles. I'd like to indicate to us following these verses something that is there for us. Paul is told directly from Jesus that he needs to get up and go, yet he gives a rebuttal. He doesn't go immediately. We see in other places in Scripture where the Lord says something and immediately they got up and did this. Paul goes to Matthew and he calls Matthew and Matthew's gospel and immediately he gets up and he goes. Paul doesn't do that right here. Paul gives a rebuttal. Yet he, he doesn't listen immediately. He doesn't just go right away. He protests a little bit. He tells Jesus like, hey, Here's the reasons why I need to stay. It's almost like, and I don't want to read too much into this, but it's, it reminded me so much of how we as people can be. It's almost like, wait a minute, you've done this. Like, I got this. I can handle this. And we can think negatively of Paul here for that. But I ask the question. How many times has the Lord made things pretty clear to us, and yet we protest? Yet we say, are you sure about that? I, I don't know about that. If we're honest, it happens often, right? I hope I'm not the only one. We do, though. Yes, we may not get a vision right before us, or we may... We may not hear audible words coming from heaven, yet the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. He directs us through the word. He directs us through silence and solitude with him. And I'm going to tell you, just like I told you last week, if you have not taken the time to cut aside some time in your schedule for complete silence and solitude away from the phone, away from the watch, away from all the distractions, I highly suggest you do it soon. I had the joy of being able to do it for a period of time over the last two weeks on two different days. And oh my gracious, what can happen when you are completely in the presence of God in silence is incredible. It doesn't happen right away because your mind has to slow down. You have to stop thinking of the distractions. But it's incredible. But the Holy Spirit directs us during that time. The Holy Spirit directs us through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit directs us through brothers and sisters in Christ who have wisdom. There's some times where the Holy Spirit is trying to direct us. God is trying to get our attention. We may hear it. We may know it. We may understand it. We may say, yeah, I may need to do that. But, and then a brother or sister in Christ comes up and says, hey, what about this? And it's exactly what God's been trying to direct us to do the whole time. And we've just been putting up the muppers.
Paul, in a way, may have thought that, hey, I got this. I can be the hero of the story here. Let me do this. The hero of the story is always Jesus. And his will is always going to be done. Jesus' direction for Paul was to leave quickly to go to get to the Gentiles. Remember from Acts 9, 15 to 16, Jesus says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus reminds Paul of his calling. I've called you to the Gentiles. I've called you to go. This reminds me to point out to each and every one of us and to myself. Remember your calling. Remember your calling. Now, when I say calling, I'm not directly talking about like a call to ministry. Because a lot of people hear the word calling and they think Brian and Walter as pastoral type ministry calling. No, I'm not referring to that in this moment. It may be for somebody, and I'll get to that in a moment. But remember your call. If you're a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called by God to be on mission for him every single day where you live, work, and play. Don't forget your calling. Don't stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do that. And give every excuse in the book. You may stop and say, yes, that is my calling. I understand that, but I don't know what to do next with it. Well, you've come to the right place. Because that's our job. Ephesians 4 is very clear to the elders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to equip you outside of just Sunday morning so that you can do mission outside of Sunday morning. Don't forget your calling. You see, our calling as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to walk in obedience with the Spirit. To walk in obedience with the Spirit. To be obedient to God. And you may be thinking right now, Brian, almost every time that you've got up to preach over the last several months, it's like every single week, obedience seems to be a theme. That's intentional. Because as I've been studying through this book of Acts, God has been making it very clear to me through these different examples in the Scriptures of what God wants. He wants His people to be obedient to Him. To walk in step with the Spirit. To make much of His name. He's the hero of the story. He's the one who we magnify and glorify before the people that we're around on a daily basis. He's the hero. Not me. Not you. Not anybody else. He's the hero. He wants us to make much of him. And in order to do that, we have to walk in obedience with the Spirit. Secondly, I'm almost done. There may be somebody in this room within the sound of my voice or listening online that believes that, yes, 
The Lord has called me to make much of his name as a follower of Jesus. And like every other believer, that is my call to go and to do that. But there's also something stirring in me that I believe the Lord is calling me to do something more. That could look vocationally. That could look like starting a ministry. I don't know what it is, but I don't know what to do next. Again, you've come to the right place. It is the desire of Walter and I's heart to see this church reach this community and to fulfill the Great Commission in this generation. We want that so badly. And we know that as we're going out and prayerfully, everybody that's within our body is going and doing this and making much of the Lord's name. We're going to encounter more people. People are going to come to faith. People are going to be baptized. Church family, you know that right now during the service over at Portside Baptist Church, Pastor Hayden is baptizing two more people. Let's celebrate that. Two people have come to faith in Jesus at Portside. God is doing a work there, much like he's done here over the last several years. Those people are being baptized right now. That's the second baptism they've had within the last couple of months. Prior to that, it was a dry spell. The Spirit is doing a work there. We celebrate that. And as we are doing this and living this life, people are going to come to faith. They're going to be equipped. And guess what? The body's going to grow. And we're going to need more pastors to help equip. There may be somebody in this room right now that says, you know what? God may be calling me to that. I want to talk to you about that. You've come to the right place. Talk with us about that. You may say, well, it's not pastoral ministry. But I do feel like it's this. Talk with us. We're not mind readers. We want to help equip you for the work of ministry. And lastly, and I would say most importantly, because those things are important, but I'd say most importantly for this, someone here within the sound of my voice may be sensing the Lord is drawing near to them because they need to repent of their sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Today may be the day of salvation for somebody in here or somebody watching online or listening to this weeks down the road from right now. If that is you, I want to encourage you to not step out in fear, but to step out and trust the Lord the one who died on the cross of Calvary that we're going to celebrate over the next month, defeated sin and death and resurrected from the grave to wipe away your sin and shame by his precious blood. And if that's you, we want to celebrate with you. We want to help disciple you. We want to equip you for the work of ministry. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what category you may fall into today. You may say, you know what? I am not walking in step with the Spirit. I'm not walking in obedience. Therefore, I'm not able to meet people where they are because I'm not boldly proclaiming Jesus. Your next step is to get on your knees and repent and say, Lord, I confess to you, I'm not living this way, but I want to now. And you may be doing that. You may say, you know what? I am living that way. I am striving for that. So Pastor Brian, Pastor Walter, let me come alongside of you guys and help you with discipling people. We'll praise God for that too. I don't know what the Lord is saying to you, but in these next few moments, I want us to quietly stop and reflect. 
It may be that with your notes that you were taking, maybe you want to jot down some things and just write out some things maybe that God is saying to you. Do that. Be quiet for a few moments. Then I'll pray for us and the worship team will come forward and we'll sing a closing song of worship. And I want you to know that I'm available to you up here. If, if you want to talk to Pastor Walter, he's back there in the back. You can come up. You can pray. We're not going to embarrass you. I want to encourage you and equip you so you can do the work of ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your living word, Lord, that is able to be utilized by the Holy Spirit as we read it to direct us, to be our helper as you said he would be. Lord, this word gives us the examples of these accounts of what happened with Paul and others as we've been studying. And Lord, it's humbling at times to see what you've done, to know what you've done in my life, what you've done in the life of others. And to know, Lord, that that is a supernatural act of you because, Lord, we do not deserve what you've done for us. That's an act of you that is full of grace and mercy. Lord, who are we that we would be, that you would be mindful of us? So humbling. Lord, I pray for everyone in this place, listening online here in this sanctuary with us right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as they're wrestling with what you're speaking to them, Lord, that they would walk in obedience with the Spirit. If you're drawing them to a place of repentance and confession, Lord, I pray that we would do that. If you're bringing us to a place of saying, Lord, I want to do this for you, but I don't know what to do next, Lord, remind them, God, that they have pastors that are here to help them other leaders here to help them. Or maybe even for the one or two or whoever, Lord, that is sitting there and saying, you know what? I think there's something more that the Lord wants me to do. Lord, help them to step out. Lord, for maybe the one that is sitting there right now and they know I'm not living a life for Christ because I don't know Christ. Lord, I pray that maybe today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would step out boldly and that they would trust Jesus for the very first time. Lord, have your way in us now, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.